man. I am an alcoholic. Um, and uh, my sobriety date is May 27, 2015. Uh, I have a sponsor. I sponsor at Alcoholics. Um, and my home group is the Late Show Group. We meet seven nights a week at 1744 University Avenue in Berkeley uh, at 10 p.m. So we'd love to see you over in Berkeley at 10 p.m. sometime. Um, and and uh, Laura, thank you for uh, for asking me. Uh, I was thinking about it a little bit because um, I get off the cuff a 15-minute share. Off the cuff on a 40-minute share is a little trickier. Uh, so I actually did some thinking. And um, I did not... I did a lot of thinking about AA, and I did a lot of not coming to AA because I didn't want to come to AA. Um, I... Uh, I, I, I really had a problem with the spirituality thing. It was a big problem for me. I, I had a low opinion of people who had spiritual lives or had spiritual thoughts or feelings or that. Um, I thought they were weak-willed and stupid. And I didn't want to be around that, and I thought I was better. Um, but I had known, I knew a guy who got clean over another program um, and, and I watched him and he, he'd do this 12 step thing for a while and like things would start to look up and then he'd stop and he'd go on a bender for a few months, um, which is when I'd hang out with him because, uh, drinking with the guy who was on a two month long meth bender made me feel normal. Um, and, and it had been a long time since I felt normal. Um, you know, I think the most important thing I can say at any, at any AA meeting is that, um, I couldn't stop drinking, even though I desperately wanted to stop drinking. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I worked the 12 steps and had a spiritual awakening and I haven't had a drink since and I don't have any interest in drinking. Um, and like every, everything else that I ever say at a meeting is, is nice experience maybe, hopefully useful, and, but when you get down to it, I couldn't stop drinking, I worked the 12 steps and found a power greater than myself, and I don't drink anymore, and, and the rest of it's just, just, uh, nice, but, um, yeah, I, I just, the, the, I'd gotten long past the point where drinking felt normal. I had, I had not had a drink until I was 21. Um, because I had, um, my, my grandfather was a drunk and had, was a very bad person and had done a bunch of very bad things and so I didn't want to be a drunk and much like spiritual people, I thought the people who drank were weak and stupid and I hated them and I used to tell people about it because I was an asshole. Um, and, uh, and then I was 21 and I was just... I was just miserable and lonely, and I hated the people I was friends with, and I hated where I was. So it occurred to me, this is why people drink, right? Because they're lonely and unhappy. That's why people drink. And um, so I started drinking, uh, even though I still, you know, despise people who did it. Um, I just thought that's what alcohol was for, was, was being miserable and lonely. Uh, it turns out, it's not actually why most people drink, um, but it's it's what I had to go on. Um, and 
And at first it was good. My first drunk was incredible. You know, I was hanging out with people who I didn't, I didn't think they knew who I was. I was in a bar with them because everybody had gone to the bar. Not because anybody had wanted me to go to the bar. It was just, hey, we're all going to the bar, you know. And I had a few beers. And, um, and suddenly, like, the lady I didn't think recognized me thought that the things I was saying were funny. And the guy that I kind of wanted to be was paying attention to what I had to say. Um, and it just felt really good and seemed like that. And, and I wanted more of that. So I did more drinking. Uh, and I went from, from living alone and having a job I didn't really know anybody at work, um, and being disconnected from the world around me to somebody who was out partying three, four nights a week. And I had a bunch of friends, and we had a bunch of crazy things happen that were largely fun, and and life was life was great. Um, and then about eighteen months in, a friend of mine tried to a friend of mine drugged and tried to rape another friend of mine. And that was that was the end of it. That was the end of the good times. The good times lasted eighteen months. I drank for a dozen years. But I always thought that it was just recently the good times. Um, it wasn't until I got sober that I thought, Jesus, that the good times had only been the first year and a half. And then it just spiraled out, you know. I, uh, I found for a while that I could control my drinking if I smoked enormous quantities of marijuana. So for, for three years, I smoked enormous quantities of marijuana because I didn't hurt anybody when I was high. I didn't do anything else, but I didn't, I didn't get myself into trouble. I didn't cause problems um, until I couldn't take the weed anymore because I, I never liked weed. Um, and I went back to drinking. Um, and I just kept screwing over the people around me. I had cut off most of the people in my life. Uh, but it's very difficult to, to disconnect completely, you know, and my family was still part of my life for much of that time. Um, and I was still in one relationship after another, uh, and I was still working for much of that time. And I just kept getting drunk and screwing people over. Um, and, uh, And there were just fewer and fewer of those people around. Um, I got at the end of the point where the relationships were over and there would not be more. My family was finally out of the picture altogether because I, I didn't want my mother to see me drunk. I was drunk all the time, so I just refused to see her. Um, and I couldn't hold a, a real job, so... Um, I worked at this, uh, I did small odd jobs out of a metal shop um, where they, they didn't mind too much that I was drunk on the job all the time. And uh, and I thought that was fairly normal. There was some stuff about it that made it like 
I don't know, it seems so normal. I once was talking to a friend of mine and made some reference to, you know, oh, you know how you get a fifth of whiskey on the way home most nights and drink it? And he seemed to think that that was not a thing that he did or most people did. Um, and so I learned to keep my mouth shut about my drinking. But by and large, like, I just thought it was my lot in life that I was a miserable drunk. Um, I thought I was born to it. I thought I was born for it. Uh, at some point, I decided I needed to stop. I needed to take a break. I decided I needed to take a break. And, um, and I had done that before. I had taken breaks before, before it had progressed to the same degree that it had at that time. And I thought that this was something that I could do. Um, and there was, there was just, there was something that maybe I didn't have to be miserable all the time. And so, and so I tried to stop. Uh, and, and this time, this time I couldn't. Um, and, and I fell into a pattern that lasted for a while. I would, I'd get up in the morning, uh, hungover and stop at the liquor store on the way to the shop and buy uh, a pint of whiskey. And I'd nurse that drink through the day to like get through work, trying to drink enough that I could work and not so much that I couldn't work. And my definition of too much kind of shifted over time. Um, and then at the end of the day, if people were having beers after work, I would drink their beers. And then I would start at the grocery store on the way home and pick up a fifth of whiskey. And I'd go home uh, and I'd drink. Uh, and I'd, I was convinced that people were trying to get me. Um, and so I would stop the house with a loaded gun and a fifth of whiskey in nearly in tears because I thought I was going to have to shoot somebody that night. Um, and like I said, like this didn't seem weird to me. This was not, this is just, just how I thought the world worked. Um, and then I come to in the morning, furious that I hadn't died in my sleep and I would do the same thing all over again. And I did that seven days a week cause I had nowhere to go with the liquor store, that metal shop and the grocery store on the way home. Um, and once I decided I wanted to stop, or I wanted to take a break, um, I, could, I could, most days, I could get through the work day without drinking if I really wanted to. If I didn't do anything but sit at the writing table and repeat to myself over and over and over again, I'm not going to drink today, I'm not going to drink today, I'm not going to drink today. I could get through the work day without drinking. I could get work done, but I could, I could not drink. And then I'd get uh, in my truck. And I would say, you know, I'm just going to go home. I'm not going to drink today. And I'd go to the grocery store and I'd pull the same fifth off the same shelf. And I tell myself, I'm not drinking today. I'm not going to drink today. Please just don't, please just don't make me drink again today. And I would take the fifth home and I'd open it up. And I'd remove the first two thirds of the bottle. And uh, I'd come to in the morning to an empty bottle. And this scared the hell out of me. Um, I was really convinced that I was not someone, 
I thought I had willpower. I thought I had some sort of agency in my own life, some sort of ability to, to be the man I wanted to be. And, and, you know, if I don't want to do it, I don't do it. And, um, it was bullheaded and full of pride. And, uh, and I, and I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't get to bed sober. Um, and I didn't know what to do about that. I knew about AA, uh, and I, like I said, I'd, I'd seen it. I'd seen twelve steps work for someone else when he was doing them. Um, and uh, and I couldn't hand the spirituality thing. I couldn't do the spirituality thing. It was just like I was just I, I was too too smart for that sort of thing. Um. But I started reading about AA and blackouts. I had a laptop, and I'd, I'd come to in the morning to all these tabs open on the laptop with, um, you know, here's why AA is great, and here's why AA sucks, and I was in AA, and I don't like it, and I've been in AA, and I've been sober ever since, and all these, all these things, right? And the national website, and the East AA website, and, and, and all that. And I'd close them all down and I'd tell myself, you know, I'm, I'm glad that this is available for those people, those people that need it, but I don't need it. I don't need a spiritual thing. I can stop this, you know. Um, until one morning I woke up and I had a note next to me on my pillow. Um, I still have a note it's in my sock drawer, but I had this note next to me on my pillow that said, uh, you're drunk and you should go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and, and I, uh, I decided if, if, if black out me thought I should go to AA, I should probably go to AA. Um, so I waited a couple weeks because I didn't want to rush into it. And I convinced myself that I, I couldn't figure out which meeting to go to, so I wasn't going to go to a meeting. I emailed, I emailed East Bay in a group one night at like one in the morning, Friday night, so no one would respond, saying I don't know how to go to you know what meeting to go to, which ones am I allowed at, that sort of thing. And I remember thinking, good, I've sent this email out. And I don't, um, they won't get back to me until Monday, and I don't have to deal with it until then. And half an hour later, the, uh, the special worker at Intergroup emailed me back <laughs> with an explanation for, for the problems that I thought I was having. Uh, and that finally broke me down. Um, now I'm super grateful for that. Um, so I went to a meeting. I just picked one and, and went to a meeting. And, uh, and I walked in and I sat in the back and I didn't raise my hand as a newcomer. And I, um, I don't know what anybody said. I don't know who was there, even though I later attended that meeting for years. Um, but at the end of the meeting, I was shaking. And... I managed to flag someone down and I said, I need help. And she got a group of guys 
to talk to me and they all gave me their phone number and they wanted my phone number and I thought that was really weird and then they sat with me on the front steps of this church which was also really weird but they told me about their drinking and they talked about things about drinking that other people didn't know things that when I told the people I know at work like you know how you go home and pick up a fifth of liquor on the way home and down it that night? Those people backed away slowly and didn't want me working behind them. And these folks at the, uh, these folks on those church steps, they knew what drinking was really about. And they told me that they didn't have to drink anymore because they'd worked the 12 steps. And they asked me, are you going to be able to get home sober tonight? And I said, no. And they, um, they sent me to, to the late show. It's not my home group. And I went to that meeting. And I sat outside and smoked and watched all the people being happy. And then I went home and I went to bed sober. And it had been a very long time since I had gone to bed sober. And I really wanted that. So I kept going to AA, um, and I people had suggestions, and so I did 90 and 90, and I got a service commitment, and, um, and I got a sponsor, and I made a beginning at the steps. Um, but just like, you know, for, for Jim, who made a beginning, and more about alcoholism. I made a beginning and then I felt to enlarge my spiritual life because I was still really unsure about this whole spiritual bit. Um, I'd gone a long way because by the time I came in, like you could have told me to believe in damn near anything and I would have made a serious effort. Um, it's a really good thing that my sponsor is, is himself a man who lives by spiritual principles because he could have told me to do all sorts of ridiculous stuff and I would have done it. But I still just wasn't so sure on, like, an intimate level what, you know, how I felt about the spirituality thing. And so I stopped working with my sponsor. And I slowed down on my meetings. And I started walking down the liquor aisle just to look at the labels um, for old time's sake. Um... And then one day I, I left the shop and I told myself, well, I'm not drinking tonight because I'm a sober alcoholic. And I went to the liquor store or the grocery store and I pulled the same bottle off the same shelf. And I told myself, well, I can take this home because um, I'm not an alcoholic. And, uh, and I took it home and I put it on the counter and I looked at it and I thought, you know, Maybe I'll just smell it. So I opened the bottle and I, uh, I took a whiff. And at that point I knew what I was gonna drink. I mean, at that point it was done, right? So I, so I told myself, you know, it talks about the experiment in the book. It says, go to your nearest bar room, have a couple of drinks, stop abruptly. And I was like, I can do this. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have one drink. I'm gonna have one drink. I'm gonna put the bottle down. I'm gonna back away from it. Go close the door so that I'm in the bedroom and not come out until morning. And that is how I'm going to enjoy and control my drinking. 
Um, so I took that bottle and I upended it and I drank a third right off the top of the bottle. And that was my one drink. And I was done. I was any, any idea that this was something that I was going to get out of, that self-knowledge was somehow going to help me to manage it or control it or limit it in any way, it was just over. And, and, <laughs> and I found myself sitting on the edge of the bed, wishing I was dead, hating life, and thinking what a pathetic piece of crap I was. Um, and when I came to in the morning, the bottle was empty. And I was just lost. Um, I hated myself for being weak. I felt like I was just, I was just pathetic. And that there was no hope for me. And then I saw that my sponsor had called me and left a voicemail. My sponsor by and large doesn't call sponsees. His sponsees call him. It's a, it's a willingness thing. And um, so he, he had never, except for the first time, he had never called me. And, um, and I called him back and I told him what had happened. And I apologized for drinking. And I begged him to take me back. And I said that I, I would try better this time. And I'm so sorry. And I realized, I realized that I'm just, I'm just weak and stupid and pathetic. And um, he said to me, he said to me that in the absence of a spiritual solution, a real alcoholic will drink. It's not, it's not when, or, you know, it's, it's not whether I will or not. It's when or at what point is the bottle in front of me. But, but without a spiritual solution, a real alcoholic will drink again. He said that I had not done anything that was bad or weak, or stupid, or pathetic. I had simply done what alcoholics do. And that, of course, he would continue to work with me. Um, and he said, are you going to be able to get to a meeting? And I said, yeah. And, and, uh, and I went to that same 10 p.m. meeting. And I sat in the second row, half curled up in the chair, and shaking. And I'm told sweat and whiskey. Um, and a guy there saw me, this is a fellow who, um, I had been rude to him every time we had ever talked. Um, uh, he, 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 yeah, I, I had been nothing but rude to him and he saw me over there sweating and shaking and he came and he sat with me through the meeting and afterwards. Um, until I stopped shaking. Um, and I, I went home that night and, and I haven't had a drink since. The thing, that, the thing that happened for me, the thing that changed how I live the solution that we find here is that that day, neither of those men had known that I was drinking. Neither knew that I was anywhere near a drink. Um, neither of them knew each other. 
there was no reason that either of them that my sponsor should have called the morning I would have otherwise gone for another bottle. And there was no reason why the other fellow would have showed up at the meeting where I so desperately needed someone to take care of me. And the only way that I could see those two things happening is if there was a God acting in my life through members of Alcoholics Anonymous. The fact that, that those two guys were put in, in just the perfect place for me to live was um, was too much for me to think was it was merely coincidence. And so um, and so I found the faith that it took to get me through working the steps as if my life depended on them. Um, and to as, as quickly as possible start working with other alcoholics. Um, the question of spirituality, I mean, it's still a big question, right? It's, it's still something that I, I am someone who thought he was better than others and yet lives the kind of life they were talking about. And how do you reconcile that? Some of it is, is I was not better than those other people. I was a miserable drunk with a loaded gun in the middle of the night, convinced he had to shoot someone. That's not better. Um, you know, my life today is better than that. <laughs> in ways that sort of go beyond, beyond description, right? Um, the thing that made it kind of work for me, though, the spiritual stuff, is that none of this is, is stuff we made up. You look at you look at Bill, who founded you know the first the first AA, the guy who kind of got the ball rolling. Bill didn't say one day, you know, it would be good prayer and meditation. That sounds like a pretty good thing. Um, you know, this was the, he he got that stuff from the Oxford group, and he didn't wake up one day and say, I know what's wrong with me. He got that from from Doctor Soapworth at Towns Hospital. The the great like realization, the great genius of the founders of this program was not that they came up with good ideas, it's that they pulled other people's good ideas together. And so when they suggested that we take up prayer and meditation, sharing what's going on in our lives with other people and prioritizing the well-being of others ahead of the well-being of ourselves, these are things people have been doing for thousands of years. These are things that people have found meaning and power in since before we were writing things down. The practices that are suggested in our program and the ways in which we seek out that power greater than ourselves are not new ideas or, or fancy ideas or specific to us. They're not things my sponsor came up with. These are profoundly human ideas and they're things that cross almost universally into all human cultures. Whether or not I feel strongly um, about what it is that I am talking to when I pray or what I'm listening to when I meditate, um, 
those actions have great power. Now, I happen to believe personally that there is a God that is a power greater than myself that stands between me and a drink every minute of every day as long as I seek, is what it says in, in uh, We Agnostics. Um, but, but when it was just the beginning and I didn't know what to think of all this stuff and I thought that all of it was kind of a lie and sort of crap, um, I was able to to hold on to that. That this is this is stuff that is so old and so human, and it must have value. Um, and and when you really get down to it, beyond the the alcoholism, the 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 root of my problem. This, the selfishness and self-centeredness, the focus on me rather to the exclusion of everything else is, is also a very old problem that many people have dealt with for many years. And so what we do here is we use tried and true tools to deal with a tried and true problem. The steps are a way of bringing about in, in each of us that kind of spiritual connection, the spiritual awakening, the kind of thing that Dr. Young said was something that happened a few times every now and then across the centuries. And that's something we get to see on a daily basis at Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, we, we have a system in place. We have a process by which things that almost never happen to almost anyone can happen to each and every one of us. We get to see miracles all the time. It was impossible for me to not drink. That was not something that I could make happen. That's not something medical professionals have been able to make happen. That's not something my family or girlfriends or friends or employers or anybody had been able to make happen. But through working the steps and through having a spiritual awakening, that happens every day. And it happens every day for a bunch of people who are just as hopeless as I am. Um, I try not to lose track of the enormity of what it is that I have found here. Of the, of the incredible power that we all have access to. And that in order to maintain that and to be a part of that, to be a part of the lives of other people who've had those experiences, what I need to do is share that message with, with other alcoholics. Um, because the best way to get out of self to get out of selfishness is to get into someone else's needs. Uh, and, and through this program and through the reliance on God and through these tried and true tools that we get to make use of here, I get to be a useful person today. I get to be a member of my community, both in Alcoholics Anonymous and outside of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm a participating person in my family now. I can do actual work. I can maintain, you know, just like basic human relations, interactions with other people. Um, and whereas I used to get up in the morning furious, I had not died in my sleep. 
Now I get to get up in the morning, excited for a day in which I get to do all this stuff. I didn't think someone like me got to have meaning in life. And I have a life now that has meaning. Uh, and that's what I, I never figured out how to describe how amazing that is. I was just waiting to die, and now I get to live. So I'm um, so grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous, to the people here, and then other meetings who helped me to get that life that I have today. Uh, and for all of you for listening to me for this long. So, thanks.